0: Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is Sean Catanese, Level 2 from Sacramento, California. And I'm Ricky Hayashi, just another player. Oh, come on, Ricky. You're not just another player right now. Sure I am. You're back to being a judge. The Grand Prix is over.
1: I'm not judging until the Pro Tour, so I got uh, three more days of
0: uh, freedom. Okay, okay. Well, now that the, now that people know that the Grand Prix is over... Of course, not because we told them, but probably because they found out some other way. (laughs) How'd you do? You had your first three round buys?
1: Yeah, yeah, and then I went one and three after that. Okay, well. Dropped after round seven. And as soon as I dropped and the judge took the slip away, I got called up to the main stage by the head judge. What for? Well, because John Carter wanted to make fun of me.
0: Oh, (laughs) that's hard. (laughs) Kind of those, really,
1: you're going to (laughs) drop... was it was it worth it type of things
0: <laughs> Oh man that's a shame Well I guess you could say that we kind of got back at Carter for this here um in a way it was inadvertent though we've recorded a great interview with him it was actually fantastic material and then the computer decided to eat it So we don't have nom, nom, of, <laughs> don't have all of his fantastic input um it was really a great great time there uh, really glad to have judged with him well, I hope you learned something from the interview then, because the listeners aren't going to, apparently. <sighs> that's right. Well, that's, that's a shame. Um, well, hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to him in San Diego, if he'll talk to us again, because he has some really great insights. Um, and the fact that he's you know, picked out the judge foils for next year, is pretty awesome. Uh, he had a lot of input in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of other things that we talked about, especially with regard to uh, the high-level events that... You know what what players go through in those. Um, we'll hopefully be able to talk to them then. But enough about what we could talk to people about. Let's talk to people a little bit about what we have planned for them tonight. Uh, well, you got two other interviews, right, while, while I was busy playing? That's right. I got an interview with James Elliott, Level 2 from St. Louis, and Barry Swan, who is a Level 2 from Columbia. Not Columbia, British Columbia, not Columbia, the one over by uh, Washington, D.C. Columbia, the country. Yes, the and the
1: interesting thing is these are both English nationals in foreign countries. James obviously in the U.S. and then Barry in Colombia, so they they both
0: do do not sound like they are from those places. Right, right. Though you're four for four in offending a country on a podcast here, Ricky. Uh, James is Scottish, and and oh, calling an English national is probably offensive to them. United kingdom what, what do you want me to call him? Call him a... You know, a transplanted Brit, perhaps. We'll figure that out. We'll ask him in San Diego what it, what he prefers to be called, nationality-wise. All right. Sorry, queen, whoever <laughs> is the queen right now, or king. Don't really care. All right. Judge Cast, reaching across borders and helping international relations any look, way we can.
1: Look, we don't need kings anymore. Kings and queens. Democracy
0: time. All right. Well... Let's talk a little bit more about the, the Grand Prix, because that's the, kind of the big thing that happened for us. So here. I actually have a funny anecdote.
1: Okay. You, you judged the Grand Prix. It was nine grueling rounds on day one Saturday.
0: My feet still hurt. Yeah. Uh,
1: you have me to thank for that ninth round. As I was told by the scorekeeper, Nick Fong, they, they went to nine rounds because there was one player with three buys over the limit. So if I had not played, or if I not, if I had played and not earned three buys, it would have only been eight rounds. It's all your fault, Ricky. <laughs> I could have been playing EDH an hour earlier. I mean, Man. people keep telling
0: me that the world doesn't revolve around me, but it sure seems like it sometimes. Well, and you know, that ninth round was pretty interesting for me, because we had um, the last table of the last match of the last round for that first day was a pretty contentious match. And... A whole bunch of people were sitting around it, waiting for it to end, Mm. and it went to time, and they had an extension. Then that time extension ran out. Okay. And we're waiting on them, going through their five turns. Both players are in the X and two bracket. So a draw knocks them both out of day two. Uh, That's too bad. Right. Too bad for both of them. So as we're sitting there talking about, you know, okay, continue with your match. Okay. So you're done with your five turns. Okay, great. Looks like this match is over. Let's get the match slip. Let's get this day finished. And they decided to sit there and talk about who was going to concede to who. Okay. So, being the last match, mm-hmm. the last round, basically, I was one of five judges sitting around the table there, waiting for them to finish this off, set the match slip down in the middle of them, and then asked them, please fill out your match slip. Okay. Okay. And they dickered for another 20, 30 seconds, which is 20 or 30 seconds longer than they should have in filling it out. At that point, the match had really drawn. They just needed to fill it out. And we can't do anything until that match is filled out. So what I did is, after they dickered some more, I said, okay. I'm they, they did what, Sean? They, they dickered around. Okay. I, I hope <laughs> that doesn't mean what I think it means, but please go on. No, it just means that they waited way too long to do anything useful. Anyway, after they did that... I gave them both a warning for slow play. Hmm. And said, please fill this out right now. And after that, we had now a few judges around the table saying, okay, is this done yet? Okay, can we go now? You know, can we get on with the rest of our day or evening at this point? It's about 10 o'clock. And it took them another 20 seconds to fill it out, at which point I had a pen in hand ready to write on there. USC major for failure to follow a direct instruction from a tournament official. So I think I was actually five seconds slower than I should have been on the draw for that. And I should have been able to do that to both of them. Hmm. I think that was, they were just essentially ignoring us and they were essentially using this time to their advantage. And essentially the more stubborn player won out there and got the concession in the very end. And I think that was probably poorly earned. Now, of course, that person didn't do so well in day two, um, didn't see them in top eight, didn't see them in top 64. But at the same time, it felt bad for me as a judge seeing that go on. And after the fact, it kind of left a weird taste in my mouth thinking, you know, I should have stepped in earlier. I should have taken care of that faster. In what way? Well, I think it would have been better if, if we had actually stepped in and we could have saved a few minutes on the round. We could have had everybody go home a little earlier. And at the same time, the term in integrity, I think, was impaired because essentially one player was allowed to badger his opponent into conceding to him. That's how it felt for me at the end of the day. That's fine. You think? To badger your opponent into
1: conceding? If you don't want to concede, then you don't concede. And you say, no, I don't want to concede. This conversation is over.
0: Well, at that point, then, you should start to fill out the slip as a draw. Okay, well, then he should have filled it out. Yeah, and he didn't
1: so that that's no one's fault, but the player who conceded really okay i I really don't think that you can hold that against the other person who is trying his best to you know to do what he can to get get the concession. I think from he's that- trying to make day two didn't get there through the magic, so he's trying to get there through the magic of salesmanship
0: well, I mean, he did swear on his mother's life that he would have won the game so <laughs> That makes sense to me in retrospect, having you talk about it a little bit more. Um, I guess I wish it could have just been a little bit more sporting. So well, that's a little bit about our experiences at the Grand Prix. Right now, I'm going to cut to the interviews that we have. First with Barry Swan, who's going to tell us all about his great trip to the U.S. to judge in his first Grand Prix, though he's also been to Pro Tour Austin, he says. And for those of you who are trying to calculate in your heads... Um, how much coffee that is that he talks about. Um, Keep in mind, a kilo is about 2.2 pounds. Okay. Barry, can you tell us a little bit about your day as the head judge for the PTQ and what it's meant for you to be given this opportunity
2: and and how you got to where you are? Okay, well, uh, for me, this is a very big opportunity. I mean, I was expecting to come here and obviously learn from the other judges, I was not expecting to be made head judge of the second largest and most important tournament at the GP. So that was a bit of a surprise and came with a little bit of fear. Uh, where I come from, our nationals consist of about 70 people, which is the largest tournament that we have in a year. And PTQs are significantly smaller. And I haven't yet had judged a nationals. So this was a bit of a step up. We had 146 players, which is not the biggest ever, but for me, very intimidating. However, the day has gone very smoothly. Um, I have confidence in my own abilities, which has helped with the appeals, but mostly the fact that I know that I have a team that I can rely on. I have received a great deal of support. I have learned a lot of new tricks, um, better ways of doing things, which is really the reason that I get sponsored to come to these events, You know, for the mingling of ideas, and uh, the judges here have a great deal to teach. And I'm glad I'm going to the PT as well, because I need a lot of time to soak up all this knowledge (laughs) and take it back home. Um, I've been a level two since the Nationals uh, last year. I've been a level one before that for maybe a couple of years, I think it was. And I come from a fledgling community. For a long time, we had one active level one judge in the country. Two level twos that got uh, demoted through non-participation in the game. And we're slowly building it up now. We have about seven or eight certified Level 1 judges. Not very well spread around the country, but we're working on that. And me as a Level 2. And in the last couple of weeks, I've decided that I will start on the path to Level 3 as well. And uh, the idea is obviously to grow our community. So getting to Level
0: 3, that's going to be quite an accomplishment for you. You'll be the one of the higher-level judges in your country. Um, now, you also came here to... Uh, Oakland uh, into the States with uh, a surprise for a whole bunch of the judges here. Um, I wanted to, I'm curious to ask about what that was and, and uh, the ordeal that you went through um, bringing some uh, tasty powder from Colombia up to us.
2: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I posted on the judge uh, trade thread, which crops up for all of these events, that I was coming from Colombia and I would take requests for coffee, which is clearly the second most uh, famous export of the country. And unsurprisingly, because judges work long hours and are just addicted to caffeine, uh, I got a lot of takers, uh, particularly Scott Marshall, who is after an obscene amount of coffee. And so I ended up bringing about eight kilos of coffee into the country. And... (laughs) And yes... Uh, I kind of expected trouble. Let's put it like that. (laughs) There's no two ways about it. Anyway, so I get into Houston at about five in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I fill in the immigration papers wrong to a gentleman with a very non-existent sense of humour. He sends me back. I fill them in properly. I believe. I go back. I fill them in wrongly again. So third time's a charm. Uh, And I'm sort of... You know, I'm still leery-eyed, very, very confused. And he starts asking me questions, and I give very, very bad answers. And I knew as I was saying them that this is just going to lead to trouble. Uh, He's saying, you know, why are you here? And I was going, I'm going to see some friends. And he goes, can you name some? And my mind went blank. So that was a good start. I have no friends in the U.S. (laughs) Also, because of the sponsorship deal, I ended up paying for my own flight to Oakland from San Diego. So that means to get to San Diego, I I took four flights in a kind of a zigzag pattern across the US. Highly suspicious. And uh, I really can't explain anything. And, and the more he asks, the more confused I get. And I'm thinking, this is so not going well. And the man, no sense of humour. He's not a morning person either. And at one point, I know it's going badly because he says, could you step away from the screen so that he can type some things that I can't see? Which is fantastic. And I'm thinking, OK, this, I was more worried about missing my connection. I mean, I wasn't doing anything wrong. You know, uh, I just say, well, you know, I'm English, but now I live in Colombia, you know, and now I'm just taking a load of coffee to people I don't know. I mean, how much worse can it get? <laughs> but he has to give me the stamp, but there's a little mark in the corner, and I think, that's not good. Go to the next stage, pick up my bags. The guy immediately sees the mark and he goes, follow the red line. Had to be red, clearly. <laughs> Go around the corner, and I walk into a room with, with maybe half a dozen of very clearly foreign people. <laughs> You know, uh, we're looking at sort of Middle Eastern or Asians and what have you. You know, the kind of people that you, you know are getting picked on, basically. They've been randomly selected. Randomly selected. Yes, no profiling whatsoever. And uh, and I'm sitting there watching them get their bags checked. Sitting them, sitting there watching them get their bags uh, checked. And they do do it very thoroughly. They're, they're trying to tear your bags apart, you know, looking for anything. And I'm not bothered about this, really. Uh, because I'm not doing anything wrong. So they get to my turn, and I wander over, and I'm thinking, how long is this going to take, what's he going to do? And uh, he starts taking stuff out of my bag, and I explain better this time. I've had time to think about my cover story. And uh, he's taking out all the coffee. It's ridiculous. You know, you open the bag, and this just smell takes over (laughs) the entire room. And I explain things a bit better. But I'm a fairly relaxed traveler. I don't have printouts of my itinerary. I didn't have a return flight from Oakland because I'm driving back down to San Diego. Uh, it's all booked online, so I didn't have the return flight out of the country either. And it's, you know, and I say, I've got it all on my laptop. If you want, I can dig it up. And he goes, yes, please. That would be very helpful. Do you have Wi-Fi here? And he goes, is it not on the computer? And I go, well, I've got some on my computer, but most of it is in my hotmail. It's all a moot point because as soon as I turn the laptop on, it dies through lack of power. And, uh, and he sort of looks at me and I look at him and I thought, right, now's the time to see if he has a sense of humor. And, and I explain the story, you know, and, uh, and, and things. And he starts to laugh and I think, right, I'm going to be OK now. And uh, so he doesn't ask for more details. And then he gets to the last few bags of coffee and he goes, can't be bothered. Uh, off you go. So in the end, I think he knew that the guy at the front desk just wanted to annoy me. <laughs> So it was fine. You know, there was no bending over involved. There were no rubber gloves, uh, for which I'm very grateful. But I may be a bit more careful on my coffee orders in the future.
0: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. All right, next time we'll just be asking for Spanish versions of cards that we really like for our EDH decks or something of that nature. I guess the next question is that now that you've experienced the Grand Prix and now that you've experienced, this is not your, is this your first USGP? This is my first GP, although I did go to PT Austin. Okay. So you've had some premier event experience in the past. Looking forward, where do you see yourself going uh, in the premier tournament circuit um, and and beyond? Um, Because magic is really all over the world, and your experience really shows this.
2: Well, uh, my plans have begun to formulate a little bit now, because frankly i have forgotten how much I enjoy traveling for free to do magic things, uh, particularly with the idea that I may go for level three in... Maybe a year or so. I need to step up the the high-level tournament experience and getting to know other judges. My plan this year is to go to, if I can, all the PTs and Worlds. I will be paying for the next few trips, the next two PTs, with the hope that someone will take pity on me for Worlds, because that's a little bit further and possibly out of my price range. Uh, but also with the with the resurgence of the Latin American community we are intending to travel between countries for um, nationals. There's sadly no GP in South America this year um, so we are going to do the best that we can and I think that that's evidenced by this tournament. There's actually a fair group of uh, Latin American judges and um, I'm very pleased for them and I hope that I can do my part uh, to help grow that community and to Forge stronger ties with the uh, with the rest of the world. And that's interesting that you mentioned
0: that there is no Grand Prix for South America uh, this year. I know there was a, a sort of a petition movement started um, among the community once they realized that in the uh, in the announcement. That was very soon after the announcement, and uh, a lot of the players have really pushed for that. Um, so unfortunately, not for this year, but hopefully in the future you'll have some. So, I guess in in, in parting. One quick question I have for you is, um, well, first off, do you play EDH? And if you do, uh, who is your general, and what are your favorite strategies to use using that general?
2: Yes, I do play EDH. It was a direct result of the dominance of fairies. We were getting very sick of playing against the little buggers. And um, myself and the other active judge, my mentor in Colombia, started to play EDH for fun, as it should be played. My general originally was Doran, simply because I love him, and there was no discernible strategy whatsoever. However, due to the complete lack of competitiveness of that, I changed it to Teneb, just better but in the same colours. And I have a bit of a graveyard recursion thing going on, because most of my favourite cards just happen to do that. It is completely not competitive, as evidenced by the fact that our players saw us playing it, enjoyed it, uh, built their own decks, net decked thrashed the hell out of us uh, and their excuse was but you've got things like dual lands I need to beat you. you know I need the best deck to beat you which was a complete lie and so they ruined the format and that was just it. We now play amongst ourselves because <laughs> competitive EDH is just it's a contradiction in terms basically. Well
0: thank you Barry. Um, you've been immensely helpful in getting us more of a global perspective. It uh, looks like we're about at the limit here, where we need to start heading back to the PTQ because it looks like we're about ready to end Round 8 and get started with our Top 8. But we thank you, uh, Head Judge, for taking the time out of your busy schedule, and uh, we'll hopefully see you again at uh, San Diego. And uh, hopefully other players, especially the ones south of the border from us here and the whole continent south of us here, uh, will definitely uh, appreciate hearing your perspective.
2: Well, thanks very much. I mean, I, I hope... That some of you guys will, the next time you crack open your, you know, three and a half, four dollar boosters and go, ah, the price of this is ridiculous. We pay seven dollars a booster in economies where you earn probably a third of the amount of money. So it's it's tough, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's great. The mingling is fantastic. The more traveling we can do, the more presence that that we all have uh, is great. And if we have a GP in somewhere like Brazil, like in Rio, you guys have got to come down. These places are (laughs) crazy. You will love it.
0: So we thank Mr. Swan for his time. We also have next up here, James Elliott, level two out of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, One apology to our listeners here. There's a ton of background noise, and we weren't really able to cut that out. Um, It's mainly because the Grand Prix was in the middle of being taken down. So please bear with us through that, and we'll hopefully uh, see you on the other side. So, James... You have been to practically every Grand Prix in the United States since you started judging. You're known around judging communities as the road warrior. Can you tell me a little bit about what drives you to make all these miles often on the ground, not necessarily just for the air miles? What is it that drives you to get to all these events and and to so many premier events especially?
3: Gosh, uh, easy question to start off with. I have a bug for travelling. I love to travel around and working the events. I sometimes get to squeeze in an extra day and just see the sights. Not going to manage it this time, unfortunately, which is a real pain because I wanted to maybe spend the day out in San Francisco and maybe see the Golden Gate Bridge and things like that. I will not be able to manage it. But for me, it's about helping other communities and you know getting to meet judges from other areas and now it's got to the point where a lot of these judges are now good friends and i'll look at the list of people who i know have volunteered and think you know i haven't seen that guy in an age and i need to catch up and see what that guy's doing so sometimes it's just about just catching up with old friends when i volunteer for these things i love it i mean i just absolutely addicted
0: so what's been your most memorable experience this weekend? What, what has been the interaction you've had to mediate or um, intervene with or, or other sorts of interaction that you've had uh, even with a judge or a player?
3: When you're on the floor, I think the most interesting questions or situations, they're more about people problems rather than actual rules questions. Because they're easy. I mean, you look at the rules or you know what the rule is and bang, that's it. But when it's interpreting what people meant by what they said, or even worse, trying to interpret what their gesture meant. And I think the interesting question for me for the weekend was yesterday. We had a game where a young gentleman had indicated um, he had finished his turn and said go. His opponent who was, I think, Japanese. I'm hoping I'm not wrong in that. Although he did seem to speak fairly good English, probably better than me, to be honest. <laughs> but um, he picked up one of his sack lands, looked at his opponent and gave it a shake. And then his opponent said, OK, then, I've got a response once you do that. And then the player said, oh, no, no, no. I, I was thinking about maybe sacking it at the end of the turn, but I hadn't made up my mind yet so I get called in I speak to the players separately away from the table and then do it a second time just for just for kicks to make sure that the story doesn't change and so I mean what do you do what did this little shake of the card really mean and I decided after a minute that this picking up of the cards and this deliberate shake of the card for me it was an international sign that he was going to sack it do I have anything concrete or any video evidence that this is indeed the case, no of course I don't but you know did he does he pick up his sack lands and shake them at the end of every turn, no he doesn't (laughs) do that either, so I considered it was a definite thing that he was he had decided that he was going to do this and wasn't thinking about it so that was my ruling, and I, have in the end, said, yes, you're definitely sacking this. And they were fairly happy with this, and I think that's always a good sign you've got the right ruling and nobody appeared, but mm-hmm. it's always, a, you know, trying to get into the psyche of what people mean by things, that's where the, the real interest is. Mm-hmm.
0: So you've worked a number of events in different formats here, rules-wise and in your experience, what's your favorite format to judge and why?
3: I think at the moment the way the game is set up for certainly the last couple of sets, they've been making Zendikar and um, Shards, they've made it more sort of casual player friendly and not put in things which are too taxing. The game is still challenging and this, the game is still a lot of fun as Zendikar proved. But I think at the moment the real sort of judge interesting stuff probably comes from um, Extended at the moment partly because there's just a, a greater number of abilities to think about. And it's often cards that you haven't had to think about in a long time. I haven't had to think about Golgari Grave Troll uh, for probably a couple of years and think about if it's from the graveyard coming straight into play from some effect, then yes, it does count itself from when it was still in the graveyard. And that's one you have to think, oh god, I knew this two years ago and now I have to think for a second. So definitely more abilities, and there's just a more variety of decks I think, and it's been a lot more fun this weekend.
0: And as far as grand prix and pro tours, you've been to both of them. Uh, now I know you're not going to be joining us for the pro tour in San Diego, and that's a that's a, a tough call for you to make that choice. But um, what's the difference for you? Because for a lot of players, they just say, "Oh, it's premier play. Oh, it's it's amazing." But you know, I'll never get to that level. I'll never be so successful at those levels. What encouragement do you have for those players that are listening? And also, what's the difference for you as a judge going from the one premier event to another and the difference between the two?
3: Well, I think that's the second part. First, as a judge, it's certainly, whether you're a judge or a player, it's, it's very prestigious to go to the pro tour, And, you know, the DCI and Wizards have been very good to me in the past and um, sponsored me quite a few times, so I, I can't complain at all and I've enjoyed being on the Pro Tour and it's, it's a great honour but the reality of it is when you've got such a higher quality of, play, of, of player on average you know they, they, these guys know what they're doing and they don't need judges quite as much as they would say on day one of a Grand Prix so There can be a lot of downtime on the Pro Tour as a judge where, you know, there's maybe a couple of um, empty cups to tidy away and that was the exciting (laughs) thing for that half hour. Otherwise, things can still surprise you. I've had some very big names ask me some surprisingly mundane questions about cards, about champion abilities and things. Mm -hmm. But you've got a lot more time and it's often a benefit to just talk to some of the players who are from a truly, and judges, from a truly international perspective. You'll see for the Grand Prix circuit, you'll certainly see people that you haven't seen very often, but you get there's more of a chance for the Pro Tour to meet judges from a completely different continent. And that can be much more interesting and you get to find out about little nuances of how people in Europe say, you know, do things differently compared to how they do things in, in North America and and it's interesting how we've occasionally picked up new ideas from the Europeans and um, now I see it's a lot more common in PTQs and Grand Prix in America for us when we're about to pick up the deck list we'll give the players an extra 60 seconds to just think about the deck list and make sure they haven't made any mistakes. And two years ago we never did that in North America I think it's something that I think we've picked up from Europe, and now we're seeing much less deck problems when we finally get those decks in. Um, it definitely adds a bit of brass mallets here on the pro tour, and I think the players enjoy it as well. And they see uh, more challenging players and a different variety of players than they would normally see.
0: You touched on one of my other questions for you. Um, When you talked about how players in the Pro Tour are generally more self-policing than they are in the Grand Prix, because you have a a wider audience in the Grand Prix that may not know the rules quite as well. For you as a judge, every time you make a ruling, you're putting your knowledge on the line, you're asserting that you know the rules and that you know what you're doing. For some of these players, they're going to disagree with you. They're going to say, well, I know my my deck better than you. I know what I'm doing how do you manage that expectation in their minds um, and how do you balance this, well, authority on your part and then also when, because we're all human, sometimes you've got to be wrong, right? So how does, how does that come into it for
3: you? You know, it's I think one of the things I learned early on was, you know, someone questions or appeals your ruling, just don't take it personally. I mean, really, it, it's nothing really on you. It's just, and often it can, you hear some classic quotes like, oh, but that's not how it works on Magic Online. <laughs> like, okay, sure. Um, but Magic Online doesn't always work. But, sorry, Lee. It's one of those things that sometimes it can just be in the way you project yourself when you give the ruling. If, you, if you're a bit distracted or maybe a bit tired, you might just not exude that kind of confidence that you want to do. Every player has a right to appeal, of course. It's usually something I, I wouldn't normally say when I give a ruling because I, th- I tend to think it often projects the wrong image and projects the idea that maybe you're unsure of what the ruling is. And I think if it was at all unsure, like any judge, it doesn't hurt to take 20 seconds and just run through things with a judge shadowing you or someone nearby. I would certainly never give a ruling if I, if I had any doubt. And I, I think like anyone, you're human, and sometimes you think, well, you know, it's been a while since I've, I've thought about this, so maybe I should just go and check. You're always more concerned about getting the right ruling than worrying about any sort of um, prestige of never having to question yourself and things. So, I mean, I've sometimes made mistakes, everyone's human, and I've, I've corrected level 4 and level 5 judges on a, <laughs> on a very few occasions, and it just goes to show that everyone you know, is a human being at the end. So you mentioned level 2, or rather, you mentioned level 4 and level 5 judges
0: uh, that you've been correcting in the past, now granted, not too often. Um, you yourself are a level two at the moment, and I know that you've been working hard toward uh, Testing toward level three and, and hopefully passing that in the future um, How do you see the difference between the two for the players that may not know and the judges that also are considering well? I'm just a level one Level two is level threes. I know they're above me, but I don't know much else like, How does that differ for you and what's what's driving you toward that goal?
3: Well mm-hmm. I'm driven by the uh, the fact that I, I need to improve as a judge and I'm looking to improve. One of the things I think probably the players don't realise is that being a level three isn't. It absolutely is not just about being perfect on the rules. It's something, of course, that should be a given and it's something you should be perfect on. But there's much more to it than that. You're much more involved in the the behind-the-scenes thinking about how the game can be improved, how we can make the game better and uh, have better, better rules and a better way of running the game. And also you're much more involved in the philosophy of why we do things and the reasoning behind it. I had tested last year at Austin. And I've got a bit of homework. i still got a bit of homework to do. So I'm going to have to take a bit of time and think about that. It's, I don't think I'll be testing any time this year. I just don't think there'll be anywhere near enough time for me to be ready in that kind of time frame. So I'm thinking more long term. And actually this weekend was a big weekend too try and change the way I think and change and think more about the philosophy in an active way and take advantage of the the level 3's and 4's who are around here this weekend and talk to them about things I have to do it, otherwise Jason Lemms will get really mad with me
0: Okay, well thank you very much, and uh, for those of you who have never heard uh, James Elliott's voice over the air here, now you know he's got an accent that is not American, um, and hopefully um, you'll be able to read with that accent in mind as you're reading the other things that he writes in articles. Uh, and a- again, if you could remind us of your other exploits on the web where people can find your works, uh, it would be el- probably helpful for them so they can, if they want some more James Elliot, where can they find it? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I can't believe people would want more James Elliot. I'm sure there's an angry mob with burning torches who want less James Elliot. But I have been having a lot of fun this past year writing articles with Star City Games and um, part of the Justice League on Star City, and I've also do little bits and pieces with local websites in St. Louis. And I might start occasionally doing ones on the Pastimes website who run things in Chicago and Indianapolis. In fact, I do have one up on their website just now. So I try and talk about things which are fun and talk about rulings and always, always open to suggestion. There are one or two crazy fools who say they like my articles, so that keeps me happy. Well, we did have a few
0: questions come in for us in the intervening time where we've been a little bit off the air and doing other big events like the Grand Prix here. Right, right. The email box.
1: Keep sending those emails to judgecast at gmail.com. And if they're simple ones, we, we can just answer them. Or if they're kind of interesting discussion topics, we'll talk about them on the podcast, just like we
0: are about to do right now. Sean, what what, what do we got? Well, we have a listener um, and he actually, I know we initially said, well, let's name our listeners and say where they're from. This guy wants anonymity. You know? Okay. Well, that probably means it's kind of a contentious thing, right? What does he want to know? How do you guys deal with a specific sort of situation? In my local shop, I'm essentially the go-to guys for rules. I'm not a judge, though it is where my aspirations lay, and I'm currently having problems consistently with a single rules violator. He or she consistently seems to take advantage of the fact that my shop is full of new players who aren't used to keeping records of their life on a sheet of paper or waits to hop on a mistake they make to help them win games. In the most recent instance, I was asked to come to the table that he or she was playing at and presented with this situation. The opposing player had played Nicol Bolas Planeswalker and had been keeping track of the counters that he added to the Planeswalker, not the total loyalty currently on Nicol Bolas. When he went to use the Planeswalker's ultimate, the troublemaker called me over and stated that his opponent was misrepresenting the loyalty on the card, and he should be able to rewind the game to play differently his last turn This player constantly displays this type of behavior, and it's wearing thin on other players. How would you guys deal with these situations? So let's talk a little bit about this rules lawyer that we've encountered here. Well, first, Sean, I want to—have you seen this happen with Planeswalkers?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen it happen too and it it baffles the heck out of me. So they say, okay, he's got, you know, the number of loyalty in the corner, mm-hmm. right? Like say Garrick is 3. Sure. And then if they activate him to untap two lands, they put a a die with a 1 on him to indicate mm-hmm. that he's plus 1.
0: How do you ever go below yeah, one yeah, negatives yeah. there though?
1: What if you play him and you make a beast? What do you put a die to indicate
0: negative 1? I don't understand. You
1: know, what? how these players
0: use this right. system. So, so for those of you who might not know, those, the two or three of you listening that don't know this, you got to put loyalty counters on the planeswalker as they come into play. They come into play with a yeah. certain number of counters on them. That number is in the lower lower right-hand corner. That's a number of counters to start. Right. You use yeah, that to it's start.
1: Like, um, it's like an ally. Like, you got to put the counter on. Okay, anyway,
3: okay, I like so, uh, just
1: wanted to get that off my chest because, you know, it it, didn't, it doesn't make sense to me. If And if someone has, a, actually, maybe they don't know that you can minus it until, maybe mm-hmm. they think that you can only minus it if you plus it first. Oh, see, that's... That that's, could be a misconception there.
0: Right, right, that makes sense. Uh,
1: so an important thing to do, first off, is if your players are doing this, educate them. Right, you right. Know, tell them how it works and then why it works like this. Uh, same thing with his
0: other point. What about the keeping track of life? Like, mm-hmm.
1: it's an important thing to do,
0: right? The the thing that made me start keeping track of my life total on paper was that I was playing in an F and M, and I was doing really well. And, you know, beating, beating my opponent's face in. Yeah. Oh, you're at 15. Oh, you're at 13. What, right. what were you at? <laughs> well, it wasn't that. It's that we were keeping track on D20s on the oh. table. <laughs> and what happened is that. Bam. Um, bam. Did that just, happen? Bam. Someone, that someone hit the table. Yes. Somebody hit the table. Um, and that really just destroyed any hope that I had of keeping good track of my life total. My opponent's life total jumped from three to 15. Wow, that's you know. hot. and he didn't even cast a spell. Right. It just in an instant. So of course I need to, to keep life total on a piece of paper. And since that day I have. Um so I sincerely encourage everybody to start doing it that way too. And if you're a store, you can
1: give out, you know, life pads with your your store name and website and phone number or whatever on it. You Absolutely. can use it as advertising.
0: So the other question to talk about is this rules lawyer that we've got in this question, the person who says, "Oh, you're going to use his his ultimate, Nicol Bolas' ultimate, huh? Well, you don't have enough counters for that. I'm sorry, you you've been putting him on wrong." Yeah, that I, I mean, that's just DQ the guy. Well, why? Let's talk about that. Okay, let's talk about that. You can. You want me to start this conversation?
1: Okay. You're the one that's all gung-ho about it. Actually, I just said we should DQ the
0: guy. Yeah, <laughs> nice try playing it. No, 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 no. Let's talk about this, Ricky. What's going on here with this rules lawyer? Why, why should he be DQ'd? Because he's trying to use this, his opponent's error
1: to his advantage. Right, right. His opponent has put a die on there,
0: and it's not on the correct number. And it sounds like he knows that.
1: From all sure. the indications
0: we're getting, he knows that it was played I mean, incorrectly. W-
1: what are Nicole Wallace's abilities? Like, he starts with five loyalty, something around there, four. Okay, let's actually bring up the
0: Gatherer here. Yes, so, thank you. Can you just play some Jeopardy music while I do
1: this? do do, 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 do. Ah, does it go through again? dun dun. Okay, Sean. So let's see what you've come up with in the
0: category of planeswalkers. Well, planeswalkers, Nicobolo's planeswalker. Um he starts off with five counters on him. I think that's what I said first. Okay, well you were right. We <laughs> and then we, I said other things. We could have saved all this time. Five four three two one. Okay. Starts off with five, and he's got a plus ability. Plus three is destroy target non-creature permanent. Minus two loyalty is gain control of target creature. And minus nine is target player you wins the game, more or less. Uh, so what's happening here is the player is
1: casting Nicol Supposed to have five counters on it. But instead he says, I activate it. Uh, destroy target, non-creature permanent, and puts uh, three counters on it. Right. At that point, it should have eight. Right. So at that point,
0: the opponent probably knows something's wonky, right? Well, he should know as soon as it comes into play. He should know as soon as it resolves that it's it's coming into play and doesn't have any on it. Now yeah, I can man. understand a shortcut where both players are just going to verbally keep track of how many counters are on. I've right, seen that, but that's pretty shaky I think, especially at and I'd want players to really keep track of that. Sure. Okay. So his his opponent really should know this. And also by the indications in this listeners' vo- email here, this player, this rules lawyer, I'm going to keep calling him that too. This rules lawyer. I don't like that term, but yeah, go no, ahead. No, this player knows his rules. He knows his cards. He's mm-hmm. an experienced player. So my understanding is that he probably has a very good awareness of what Nicol Bolas does, how many counters it should come into play with, how he uses planeswalkers in general. Let's not make this. too many assumptions, but... Well, and the, and the judge... But knows. the idea here is
1: that it seems like what's being told to us is that he's been waiting for this moment. Right. Ninkobolus has, what, 5 plus 3 plus 3 is 15 counters? Uh, 5 plus 3 plus 3 is 11. Okay.
0: That's El- enough to go ultimate.
1: 11 counters, and then the guy wants to remove 9 mm-hmm. to use the ultimate. Right. And then the opponent
0: says, oh no, there's only 6 on there. Right? That's what's going on. Right. And that if I had known that there were more, well, j- gosh, I'd, I I would have played differently last turn. You've known the whole time. Totally, he's act—he's played a nickel bullets and
1: activated it twice, and you sure haven't attacked it or damaged it.
0: Right. Yeah, this player definitely. So, what's the infraction that we're talking about here? What what infraction? Because you talked about you jump straight to you do what we tell judges never to do, and that's to go straight to the penalty. What's the infraction that's been committed here? This guy, this guy is being fraudulent.
1: This guy is being fraudulent. He's The, the infraction is called cheating fraud. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, I mean, if we are to believe the emailer, he's watched his opponent put the wrong number of counters on mm-hmm. and waited for this moment where he could spring his trap. It's a trap! Right. right? Where he can say, oh, no, 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 there's only six on there. See the die? Even though he knows it's been activated twice with no interruption.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. So it sounds like this one, this opponent is trying to defraud his opponent here. So that's that's a, a great example, almost a textbook example of fraud. Is waiting wow. for your opponent to make a mistake and then waiting to bring that mistake up at an advantageous time for you. That's yeah. That's absolutely. What fraud. what you should do is you should make the
1: game state clear. Mm-hmm. Either agree that you know for whatever reason, if you both want to agree that the die indicates. You know, additional counters above the loyalty uh, that's fine. I wouldn't recommend it. Or when you see him put the three on there first, say, Well, no, it should have eight, and give him another die, right? Absolutely. So, but but there's some other things it could be like, again, we're basing this upon what this guy's telling us, and not that we don't believe him, mm -hmm. but there are other ways that this could go down, right, Sean? Absolutely,
0: absolutely. If, for instance, both players really didn't know what was going on, the player who's Nicol Bolus it is didn't realize that, oh, I'm supposed to start with this many on here, and the player who's his opponent didn't understand, oh, it starts off with that many and then we add to it and take away from it, well, then you have clearly a game rule violation on the part of the player who put it into play. Right. Didn't, put it, it, didn't put the five counters on it to
1: start with. It used to be it used to be incorrect representation right. to not have the right
0: counters. Which but but it's a, kind of been in, merged into game rules violation. Sure. So we call that a game rule violation these days. And it's a failure to maintain game state on his opponent's part. Because we still even at F and M, we expect him to his opponent to know how a planeswalker works, and when his opponent casts a planeswalker, he should still know that. So he gets a penalty, a warning for failure to maintain game state if he really truly did not know what was going on. Yeah, if they are both of the... Unintentional variety. Yeah. Sure. So we've got that. Um, And then the question is, well, if we're not going to DQ the guy, if we we establish that he doesn't know that this is how it's supposed to work... Do you allow him to do this backup that he wants to do... uh,
1: Probably wants to, like, sorcery speed lightning bolt it or something.
0: Right, right. Or attack it. I don't know. Right wants to play a maelstrom pulse on it sometime in his in his earlier turn, and really we can't do that. We can't back up that far in most cases. It depends really on the complexity of the game state and how much has changed since the first since the last error occurred, or since the error started occurring. Um, in this case, um, we wouldn't normally back up more than what's called one turn cycle, and that's going back to the same player's turn. It's going back to the same player's. Previous turn, that same point in the same player's previous turn. That's one turn cycle back. Right, because this error goes back two turn cycles at least. At least, because he's been activated
1: twice. Right. So we cannot go all rewind the game state all the way back to there and say put the right number of counters right. on. Right.
0: So this, in this case, you know, Nicol Bolas is not going to magically get five more counters on him. I think in this case, we get called to the table after a couple activations, a couple turns have passed. We establish that it's unintentional. I think we have to leave the game state as it is. So it it only has six right. instead of what was it again? Eleven. Eleven. <laughs> right. Ricky, the professor here is definitely on his on it with the the plus and minus. He's got his arithmetic down. But well, this is why I use counters. I see. And I, I actually use
1: don't use dice. I use the the glass beads, and I take them off one at a time. Oh. Uh, but that's, anyway, that's
0: good. Uh so you would leave it at six? I would probably leave it at six. Well, how about you?
1: I don't know. That's a that's a tough that's a tough pill to, to swallow for Mr. Bolas' friend.
0: No, I think it is. I think it is. But it's definitely a learning experience for him too. And I don't think we can really back up that far. Granted it would be the simplest solution is to say, well add five counters to it, because that's what one I, player, I think- its owner, understands it should have. That's what he knows it should have. That's- if they, if it's
1: unintentional and they both agreed that it should have eleven, mm-hmm. I think you just put eleven, and say stop counting them like you're doing. Right, right. Except because that, that was that's kind of the old incorrect representation fix. Right. The phantom centaur without any counters on it. You don't say okay, well you forgot the counters. Put it in the graveyard. You say
0: just put the counters on it, please. Right now, the difference here is that. The judge is being called over because there's some sort of miscommunication going on. Yeah, yeah. So that that there's clear that somebody doesn't know, you know, if if that player's opponent gets caught off guard, saying, "Well, I only saw six counters on there. What are you doing, taking nine away from it? How that doesn't work," and calls the judge over. If we can establish that it's unintentional, I think we got to leave just the six on it. 'Cause then the game state wasn't clear to both players to start with.
1: Now you're now you're
0: letting the rules lawyer win. I'm letting him win, but only because he doesn't know what he's doing. Okay. <laughs> only because he's a really bad rules lawyer. If he's if he's truly a rules lawyer and he really does know what's going on, then he's DQ'd. Yeah,
1: so this is like a rules intern, not intern. What's what are those called?
0: Well, hopefully, the he's not called a rules advisor <laughs>
1: in the uh, in the law firms.
0: Paralegal, paralegal, is that what it is? Yes, he's a rules paralegal. paralegal. Yeah, I just yeah, came up is. with a new term. All right, that's what I'll be calling all the amateur rules lawyers around <laughs> F now. Yeah, rules like, paralegal.
1: You're,
0: you're terrible. I see what you're trying to do, but you're terrible at this. You're rules paralegal. That's fantastic. Well, that's one of the questions that we had come in. Uh, let's see if we have any other ones. So this
1: is another kind of M story, right? Or regular REL story.
0: Right. Okay, I'm going to start it off anyway saying, thanks for the awesome podcast. Oh, okay. All right. It means you too, Ricky, though. That's awesome. Anyway,
1: I had a question. Yeah, but no one ever starts off an email where they're going to ask a question with, you guys
0: are terrible. By the way, I have a question. Can you answer it? Right. No one does that. No, we haven't gotten any hate mail yet. However, if you do, the email address is wikipedia at gmail dot... Okay, well, never mind. (laughs) It's actually judgecast at gmail dot com. If you ask for hate mail, it's probably just going to come from other judges. Oh, that's true. Nitpickers, that sort of thing. Well, if we are being wrong in any respect, Eli, let us know. What, has, has Eli contacted you? No, not yet. But I'm sure that if we did screw up, he'd okay. hear. He'd hear about it telepathically. He's that okay. good.
1: We're, we're talking about Eli Schifrin here. He's a level three from I think Tucson, Arizona, mm-hmm. and does the cranial insertion articles. And is basically just kind of one with the rules of the game. He is mind melded with. Yeah.
0: Me. Yes. Well, on to our next question here. My local M recently became much more particular about keeping the round time rules, which I think is great. That is great. <laughs> <laughs> what did they do previously? I think they probably just waited until people got tired and decided to go to the yeah, end now. It's like round two will end when Jeff gets back from Subway. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> With an appealing sandwich. Yeah. However... I have had the issue come up multiple times now where a round went to draw because of time and a couple rounds that would have went to time if not for the aggressiveness of my deck or some prodding on my part. Okay. So enough background info. My question is, what is a courteous amount of time to allow a player to make game decisions and what's the best way to make sure they stick to the allotted time? I don't mind calling out some of the regulars on it that, I, that tend to take a long time thinking. But it becomes really problematic with newer players, as I hate to rush them when they're trying to understand a certain card interaction or game state. I also hate to be the guy that calls for a judge unless it's a question about the cards themselves. Is there some happy medium where I can ensure I finish my games on time without being that guy? Let's talk about slow play and time here. This is kind of interesting because,
1: well, I just sent out an email to the California mailing list about slow play. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a judge's perspective, in terms of how you interact with the players, so he 's asking more as a player what should he do?
0: What do you do i mean i'm sure you 've encountered slow play absolutely well, when it comes to slow play at the f and m s you know it's really not very well enforced in, in general i think uh slow play especially because you have sometimes the judges in a match now with f and and that kind of makes it difficult for you well, to I've never
1: busy. I've never issued a slow play warning at F and M.
0: No, I don't think I've ever seen it either. Yeah. I think that and that's partially because you have the judges playing, because that's one of the easiest penalties. If you're really going to apply all the penalties that you could possibly could to an FNM, like just be, you know, a rules lawyer about every piece of possible infraction you can give out. I think slow play would be one of the most common infractions you'd give out. I, I mean. disagree.
1: I disagree. Um, as one of the judges responding on the mailing list said, at FNM, most of the players aren't thinking that deeply no, to true. to achieve a slow play situation.
0: Hmm.
1: I mean, I think slow play comes up when you've got your Dark depth stopter deck and you have a... Uh, muddle the mixture. And yeah, muddle the mixture. You're like, what am, you know, what am I going to tutor for here, transmute for? Right. Or maybe I need to hold on to it to counter something. Okay. Well, it sounds you know, like... You, classic going in the tank, right. and I I don't see players going into the tank
0: at FNM. Well, they it just, sounds like this listener though does see players doing that locally. Okay. And how how do we deal with it though? As a, from a player perspective,
1: I I think you just be friendly and say hey, can you can you make a decision or just even are you done? Are right. you done? Like, you don't have to be, are you done, are you done, are you done? But once they've reached that point where you feel like they should have done something, ask them if they're done or ask them, you know, are you going to play something? Are you going to attack? Right. Just
0: give them constant reminders
1: that, you
0: know, something should be happening. And And one other thing to note, too, is that if they are just starting now to keep time at your local store, it could be possible that some players aren't familiar with the rules about stalling, and that is that... They think, oh. oh, well, boy, I don't, I don't want to lose this match. And, wow. and we're one and one here. So if I can use up the last five minutes on the clock, I'll be okay. I'll get I, a draw. I out hadn't it. even thought about that, Sean. Yeah.
1: That's and, an excellent
0: point. And I think that, that if you just started putting a clock up there, uh, just started counting down the time in the round, um, that may be a factor. And so it may be time for your local tournament organizer. It's usually the person who makes the announcement at the beginning of the round saying, hey, we're going to start keeping time here. Let me explain a few things about how we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. If you're abusing the clock, if you're trying to run out the clock on your opponent, if you're trying to use the clock to your advantage for some reason. Yeah. Don't try it, Anakin. I've got the high ground. Right. Exactly. Because you're getting cut off at the knees. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really that's, – that's and for those of you who aren- don't know what we're talking about here, that's cheating stalling.
1: To to, abuse the clock. Yeah,
0: to intentionally play in a way to gain an advantage from the clock. Right. And so that's something to consider. Um, At the same time, even if somebody doesn't mean it in some sort of nefarious way, they're not, you know, some Sith Lord playing magic somehow, it still is stalling, even if they do take advantage of the clock, not knowing that they're not supposed to. You know, it still is stalling in that case. Um, so, proactive education uh, from your tournament organizer, from your judge, I think is the right way to go with that, um, and definitely something you should consider making an announcement at the beginning of the night. And maybe you know, if a round does go to time, you've got a bunch of matches going, maybe something to remind players of. So here's here's something to look for:
1: is players, you know, if your opponent is looking at the clock a lot, and he keeps turning around to look at the clock or looks at his watch multiple times, and then if he starts playing faster, that's good. hmm Right? Because he realizes that there's only a limited amount of time, and they're trying to speed up the pace so he can get his attacks in. Right. If he looks at the clock and starts playing slower, he's probably stalling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, there was a classic case at Worlds several years ago where a player... Kept looking at the round clock and kept mulliganing. Then would look at the round clock again and then shuffle a little bit longer, look at the clock again, shuffle shuffle, draw his hand, hmm think about it, oh, hmm, mulligan, look at the clock
0: again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's an easy tell. Absolutely. Well we had that happen in that last game of the last round of Swiss where they were going into round game three. Uh, This is going back to the Grand Prix, that we had them going into Game 3 with three or four minutes left in the match, left in the round. Um, And they definitely, you know, there were two spectators on the side with their backs to the clock, Mm -hmm. and they saw the player on the opposite side of them, not their friend, mulligan twice. And one of them immediately walked around to me and said, did he mulligan that hand because it was a bad one? Or did he mulligan that hand because he wanted to take some more time off sure, the clock? Sure, sure, sure. And that's that's actually, you know, that's a legitimate question to ask. Um, it's also case, hard to make an absolute determination. Well, it was a one-land hand. Yeah. It was okay. pretty pretty easy for me to so look at got, that. So you, and you say, saw it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It was actually me and another Judge, Aubrey, uh, who, by the way, certified for L1, New oh, yeah, California yeah, yeah, Level yeah. 1 Judge. Avery actually
1: recertified. Right. And this time, hopefully, we'll judge a Friday Night Magic once a year and keep his certification. <laughs> so, hey, you know, sometimes you get busy and you,
0: sure. you forget. So, so we'd love he, to see Avery a lot more. Absolutely. And so so Avery was actually watching the hand, and I was sitting next to him. I saw three cards of that. Avery saw the whole thing and said, yeah, that's only one hand. That's that's That was not a keepable hand. Of mm-hmm. course, he mulliganed it. It was legitimate. So... Keep in mind, stalling with this player here, that that may be something to consider, um, and really proactive education, and um, getting that judge and tournament organizer involved in educating players about, we're introducing the time clock here. Please, you know, yeah, this is to keep us on track, it's not to let you just draw out a game you would otherwise lose.
1: And proactively prompting your opponent. And again, don't don't be... overly obsessive about it and don't be mean about it. Right. I think you're going for don't be a jerk. Yeah. That was your line from last episode. Don't be a jerk. Just say, just ask, Hey, are you done? Mm -hmm. And if, if they're not at that point, they'll probably, it'll probably prompt them to make some kind of play. Uh, And another thing is that slow play. Most people kind of get nervous about it at the end of the round. There's only five minutes left and, you know, come on, speed it up, speed it up. You have to get on that earlier. If your opponent is playing slowly in the first five minutes, that's when you have to start prompting him mm-hmm. so that he gets used to the faster pace of play. And
0: hopefully that applies to the rest of his
1: rounds and the rest of the night. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, we also had
1: a we had another certification, right, at the Grand Prix?
0: Well, I didn't see more than Aubrey, no. Did you hear more? I thought I thought there was a gentleman,
1: Scott, and I didn't. I can't remember his last name. I think it started with S. Hmm. Um, James introduced me very quickly. Said he passed from Southern California.
0: So if you're out there, Scott, congratulations. Sorry we don't have your last name here, and we can't do the whole applause sound effect here. Um, yes, but glad to have more L ones in the state. Yeah, especially Southern California. Right. It's very important right. that we build that community. Absolutely. Well, good. I think that takes care of most of our mailbag. We did have a couple other questions come in, but those are more local based, um, and we'll be able to again. We're kind of an informal resource now, getting people in touch with their local L twos. That's I, I love that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think you've listened to another oh, almost hour. Hopefully, not more than an hour and a half of JudgeCast here. But we're always happy to have you as listeners and always happy to have your questions. Um, again, please send your questions to judgecast at gmail.com. And this is Sean Katanese. I keep it fair. And I'm Ricky Hayashi. I keep it fun. Thanks for listening.
3: Nice.